Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be here together, surrounded by the people you've given us to love and be loved by. Lord, we pray, um, as so many of us come into this room with fears and anxieties about the future, Lord, that you would be especially present with us tonight, that you would be near to us, that you would ease our fears, that you would remind us that none of this is a surprise to you, and that you are still God, and that you are still in charge, and you still hold all things together in the palm of your hand. So, Lord, we submit to you all our fears, our anxieties, anything that would keep us from hearing your word tonight, Lord, allow us to lay it at your feet. And we pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we put our hope. Amen. You can be seated. Well, we're going to jump right into our text today. This is Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve. By the way, I'm sorry, Zach said there would be no more sex in my messages, uh, but it's the Bible. It's not me. Um, And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. His face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. This is God's word. So we are continuing today in our series, Undone. As Zach mentioned, we are looking at the vices that we so often embrace and the virtues that we so often leave undone. And today we're going to be looking at the vice of envy. Adam and Eve, first man and woman, they have two sons, two brothers, and they make an offering to God and one is accepted and one is not. And Abel's successful offering is so unbearable to Cain that he invents murder the very first murder in all of creation. How does he get there? In 1991, there was a a junior high school cheerleader who had been beaten out of her spot um, by by another young lady, and and her mother was so angry um, and and wanted so much for her daughter to be on the squad that she hired a hitman to kill the mother of the other girl because she thought, you know, if if, if I just, if she's so bereft and uh, her mother's died, then she'll drop out of cheerleading and my daughter will get her spot. I mean, how, how does she get there? Have you ever been uh, cut off in traffic, you know, by, by the person who is just bobbing and weaving and they're generally being a menace and endangering the people around them? And so for a split second, you know, you just, you kind of, you kind of hope that they get into an accident. And, you know, we're all Christians, right? So we hope that they blow out a tire. But really, I mean, how, how do we get there? How do we get to this place where, where we delight in the suffering of our neighbors? Envy, envy is delight in the misfortune of others or grief at their success. And envy is interesting. It's not the same thing as greed or covetousness, if you're King James. Greed says, I want to have all the stuff. But envy says, I want to have all the stuff, but I want to be the only one. 
If you have the stuff too, then it's just not as valuable to me. Victor Hugo wrote a poem called Envy and Avarice. Avarice is a fancy word for greed. And Envy and Avarice were sisters. And one day the god Desire comes to visit them and he says, I will grant you a wish. I'm gonna give you whatever you want, but there's one condition. The one condition is that whatever you ask for and you get, your sister will get twice as much. And so Envy in the last stanza, stanza makes her choice. Envy at last the silence broke and smiling with malignant sneer upon her sister dear who stood in expectation by, ever implacable and cruel spoke. I would be blinded of one eye. Envy is delight in the misfortune of others or, or grief at their success, and it is, it is brutally ugly. I mean, you know, if you get twice as much as me, then what I want is to lose one eye. I mean, it's just, it's ugly. And envy is fueled, interestingly, I think, by opposing, uh, opposing emotions within the human heart. On the one side of the spectrum, envy is fueled by pride. I think I'm better than you. And then on the other side of the spectrum, envy is fueled by insecurity. I don't think I'm good enough. And so we work. We work to, to outperform our peers, to, to diminish the glow of their success and the shadow that it casts on us. And, and, and we do this ostensibly because we wanna win, we wanna be great, but I actually think, I think it's worse than that. I think it's more dangerous. That alone isn't the best of motives, but I think it's even more sinister. Um, I was not an attractive young person. Uh, I've told this story before and I'll keep telling it because I absolutely love it. Um, one day I'd shown my husband a an old family photograph with a whole bunch of my family on it at a reunion, and and uh, and I pointed out all my aunts and my uncles and and my you know my cousins, and and he he points to the only remaining unnamed person in the photograph, and says, "Who's the little fat boy?" <laughs> he married the little fat boy, so <laughs> you know. But in fairness to him, though, here's a picture of my first communion. <laughs> It really is hard to do. You, don't worry, you can laugh. That's why I put it up there. She can't hurt me anymore, guys. It's okay. But you know, as, as, um, as I grew up, I, I, was, I was made fun of. I was tormented because of my weight and because of how I looked, and especially in middle school. You know, middle school is not a good look for anyone, but it was particularly unkind to me. And there was this one girl who just, ugh, she was vicious. She made my life absolutely miserable. But you know, we grow up. We grow up and, and, and we find ways to mend um, and, and, and we realize that kids are awful and probably I was awful too and, and we figure it out and, and, and we let it go. And I really thought that I had. But then um, years later, when our senior class president was uh, organizing our 10-year reunion on Facebook, this girl who had tormented me, she left a comment on the page and I, and I knew, I knew I should not have done it, but I clicked on her profile picture. Why? Because in my heart of darkness, I was hoping, you know, that she had just, she'd become hideously ugly over the years. Or, or, you know, she sold essential oils for a living or something. You know, something that I would find satisfying. And, and I mean, to, to my shame, I would have rejoiced in her failures had I found them there. It's more insidious than wanting to win. It's not just that we want to win. We want the other person to lose spectacularly. Because deep down, we, we, we judge ourselves to be more worthy of success than they are. It's pride. You know, it's interesting. The, the, the text doesn't actually say anything about the quality of Cain's offering. Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. 
It would be a lot more convenient for us, I think, if, if we just knew that Cain had made a low quality offering. You know, it was all those kind of deformed vegetables that they keep behind the counter. That makes sense to us. You know, he, he wasn't accepted because he made a bad offering. That makes sense. We, you know, we think, okay, but, but we're not given that assurance. Not from the text. And I think that's intentional. I, I think God is actually making a point here. I think he's saying, listen, I don't want you to get the impression that you can purchase my favor, even with your obedience. There, there are parallels between the Cain and Abel story and the story of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus was rejected, not by the prostitutes and the sinners, but by the very religious people. He was crucified by the teachers and the moralists and the law-observing Pharisees. They obeyed the laws. They kept the rules on paper. They did everything right. That's why, that's why Jesus was so offensive to them. How dare you tell me that I'm not doing enough? It's more than you're doing, you drunkard, you glutton. They believed that their offering of obedience obligated God to look on them with favor. When things don't go your way, who do you get mad at? Sometimes I get mad at God. Why? Because we, you know, we think that after all we do for him, he must owe us something. Guys, what, what do I have that he hasn't given me? Cain thought that God owed him something, and so it grieved him to see his brother succeed where he did not. My friend Liz pointed out, we, we see this all over social media right now with, with this kind of cancel culture. You know, we, we watch the rich and famous. We watch them, we consume them for our own entertainment, but then the moment that they mess up, we pounce, we, we try to utterly destroy them with our words and our boycotts and our, and our canceling, and we delight in watching their downfall. I mean, it's, it's, it, we, we do this with politics. It doesn't matter what party you root for. I mean, Democrats, how many of you only look for headlines that highlight the failures of our current president? And, and would it make the world better for him to fail or to succeed? Would it make the world better for him to, to fail or succeed? I think we'd rather see him fail than to see uh, the whole country benefit from him doing something good. We delight in his failure, even if it hurts all of us. Republicans, how many of you look only for headlines that highlight the blunders of the Democratic primary? But would it make the world better for us to produce a, a, an excellent nominee or a bad one? I mean, would it make the world better? I think we'd rather see them all fail than risk losing the White House to, to a candidate who works for the other party. I mean, that's crazy. Our, our pride runs so deep, I think we would rather win even if everyone suffers for it, including us. And parenthetically, the, the, this is what makes envy just the worst. It is the, of all the seven deadly sins that we've been studying, envy is the least fun, okay? There's just nothing fun about it. In her book, Glittering Vices, Dr. Rebecca DeYoung writes, Envy hurts the envier without actually improving her situation. I mean, gluttony, gluttony hurts the glutton, but at least they get dinner first, right? You know, sloth, it hurts the slothful, but at least they get a nap. You know, envy, envy doesn't give us anything back. It hurts the envious without improving our situation, and we become dissatisfied and resentful because of what we don't have. And then not only that, envy will go a step further and suck the good out of what we do have. It makes us not even realize what we do have. My husband and I, we moved into this house in 2012 and it had an old hot water heater. Uh, and so 
every day uh, you had to push the reset button on the hot water heater if you wanted hot water. So in the morning when you wanted a shower, you had to get up half an hour early, push the button, the red button, and then half an hour later you could have a hot shower. But then of course there's mornings when what? You forget. <laughs> you forget to push the button and you don't realize until you're turning the shower on and you're like, oh no, I did not leave enough time. So now I'm getting a cold shower. And one day that happened and I was so frustrated and I looked at Rob and I'm like, we have to, we've got to fix this hot water heater. And he's like, I know. And then he said, are, are we really complaining that we can only have hot water at the push of a button? <laughs> I mean, how many people would absolutely love that? We're so used to looking at other people and their fine houses and their fine things that, that to have hot water at the push of the button, which many countries would love, was just not enough for us. Ovid describes envy as this gaunt figure with sunken cheeks and a shriveled body. Langland describes it like a leek that had lain too long in the sun, so he looked with lean cheeks, luring foully. And these descriptions are perfect because envy starves itself. Envy starves itself because envy refuses to look at the good right in front of it because it's always looking sideways. What do you have over there? What do you have over there that I don't have? It never looks down in front of it. Envy could have a holiday feast sitting right in front of her and she would not observe it because she's looking at the Pop-Tarts that her neighbor has. Envy starves you. It is the least fun of the deadly sins. At least pick a sin that's gonna buy you dinner first, you know? Um, actually, I don't, want you to, <laughs> I don't want you to pick that sin either. Forget I said that. Uh, and envy, envy is grief at another one's good fortune because honestly, we resent them. How come you get to have this? How come you, it was wasted on you. You squandered it. It wouldn't have been wasted on me. We make value judgments about them. You're not even a good person. You tormented me for being overweight. You don't deserve to succeed. I was kind. I was generous. I, I worked hard. I deserve to do better. You don't deserve to succeed. I do. Therefore, I am offended at your happiness. Envy has its roots in pride because we, we overestimate our own virtues. You guys, listen, maybe, maybe your enemy doesn't deserve to succeed. Maybe they don't. That does not mean that we do. Envy is rooted in pride. We, we overestimate our own virtue. And then ironically, envy is also rooted in insecurity. Um, my daughter is a little bit obsessed with winning right now. She's five. Um, now she's an only child. And so there really hasn't been a lot of opportunity for her um, to practice losing gracefully. She has no competition um, in the house for our attention or for competitive games. And so she hasn't practiced losing gracefully. I, I know this is my fault. I want her to practice losing gracefully, but there's like something about beating my five-year-old at a game of Candyland that doesn't feel like anybody's winning, you know? <laughs> but she really hates losing. I, when we get home, she'll, she'll run ahead of us to the door and say, I win! And when we go to take her upstairs for bed, she'll race up to the top and say, I win! She, she created her own board game recently, complete with a little spinner to tell you what you know, square to move your little pawn on. But she hates losing, so, so she changes the rules every single time that we play. It's her game, we can't argue with it. <laughs> so last time we played, she took her turn didn't like what she got. And so then she stops and said, but actually I get two turns because mommy loves me. And I get three turns because daddy loves me too. I don't know how to argue with that. Sorry, kid, you only get one turn because mommy and daddy don't love you. you know? <laughs> Let her take her three turns, it's fine. But she hates to lose. And, and here's the thing, winning once 
just doesn't cut it. You know, th there are days when Rob and I, we can't cheat enough at Candyland in order to lose every round to her. Um, but she, you know, when we win, she, you can see the way she painfully endures our success until it's over. And then she won't let us quit playing until, you know, she wins, she wins another round. I mean, why does she need to win? Why do we need to win? Why does Cain need to win? Well, because we're insecure. We're insecure. We are operating from this poisonous belief that your success must diminish mine. As though there's only a, a finite amount of human glory to go around. So if you get any, that means I must get less. But here's the thing. It's not really about the stuff. It's not about the stuff or the job or the power or the glory or the kids or the spouse or the car or the admiration. It's not about the stuff. It's about what the stuff says about who I am. That's how we get here. That's how Cain got here. That's how the cheerleading mom got here. That's how I end up here hoping my school bully is a failure because it's not about the stuff. It's about our identity. That's why, the, you know, that's why it's not greed. Greed is happy for everyone to have all the stuff as long as I get all the stuff too. But, but, but envy wants to be the only one because it's not about the stuff. It's about what the stuff says about who we are. And so we compete. You know, Rob and I spent hours one day working on a project uh, that Ember had to do on famous buildings while she was in VPK. She was four. She wasn't even in school yet. And we spent all day building the Seattle Space Needle with her. And, and yes, Rob and I built most of it while she barked orders at us to add more windows. But kids were rolling up to daycare with perfect scale models of the Eiffel Tower. Come on, parents. Your little nose picker did not make that foam mold of the Sphinx. Why do we need to compete? It's not even my project, but we, because it's not about the project, it's about what the project says. I'm a good mom, and I want you to know it. I pay attention to my kids and their assignments. I help them. I'm a good mom. It's, it's, it's not about the stuff. It's about what the stuff says. Am I good enough? Am I wanted? Am I loved? Am I admired? Am I worthy? Those are, those are good desires. God gave them to you. And, and in fact, he fulfilled them for you in the garden. We knew we were loved. We knew we were admired. We knew we were powerful. We had dominion over all of creation. We were secure. Envy was the very first sin. First Satan's and then man's. They wanted the knowledge that only God had and so we took it and then we fell and our security was lost within the fall. That, that deeply settled peace the shalom, the, the, the certainty that we can always go back home again, it was gone. And suddenly there was something to be afraid of. There was sin and death, and we've been trying ever since to bend creation and bend people to our will again because we want to recover what was lost. But guys, we are shooting at all the wrong targets. Because even if we do, even if we get what we want, even if we get exactly, if we get all the money in the world, John D. Rockefeller was the first American billionaire, and a, and a reporter once asked him, uh, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. I mean, even if we get all the money, if we get everything, if we get all the praise, if we get all the power, it will never be enough. It will never be enough because what we lost wasn't just what we had, it was who we are. And all the stuff in the world is never enough to make us whole. God wants you to feel loved. 
He wants you to feel admired and worthy. He gave you those desires, but he won't let his stuff fill those desires because he knows that that stuff isn't gonna give you life back. Only relationship can do that. Relationship with Jesus. Do you know he loves you? Do you know he misses you? Guys, God knows you. He knows you. He, he knew that you were gonna fail. He knew that you'd tell that lie. He, he, he knew that you would yell at your kids. He knew that you'd steal that money. He knew that you would gossip and quibble and ignore him for the sake of entertainment. All of this he knew before we were ever born, before the foundation of the earth was laid. He knew the fall was coming, which means he chose to die for us before any of us had ever lived. What more security do we need? Stuff won't bring you life. Only relationship can do that. The death of Jesus Christ, it's, it's not a myth. It's not an allegory. It was a transaction. It was a debt paid on behalf of sinners. And when we admit that we are one of those, and when we trust him for the forgiveness of our sins and the lordship of our lives, we get our identity back. We become children of God once again. Abel's blood cried out to God from the ground and demanded justice from sinners. But Jesus' blood, it cries out to God from the ground and demands justice for sinners. And he shows his wounds to God the Father and he said it would be unjust to exact this payment twice. We're so afraid. Did I do enough? Did I accomplish enough? Did I give enough? Am I enough? Am I enough to make it home? No. No, you're not. But he is. All we have to do is let him. Stuff won't save us, only relationships can. We, we need relationship. We need relationship with God and with other people. There are billions of other people walking around out there who I promise are equally as insecure as you are. Why are we competing with them? Uh, Princeton released a study in 2018 that found a negative correlation between happiness and the use of social media. In other words, the more you use it, the less happy you are. And of course, because we are seeing only what? The, the, the highlight reel, the Instagram highlight reel of people's lives. Of course we're gonna be insecure. There's no competing with that. We're competing with fiction. It isn't real. And so it isolates us. Envy isolates us from the very people who could make this life more bearable and the people who, that we could comfort as well. First Corinthians tells us, the body is not made up of one part, but many. You have a body, right? It's made up of many parts. How would your body perform if you accidentally poked your own eye out and your foot was like, ha ha, can't see anything now, can ya? <laughs> Wouldn't work. That's crazy because, because we need each part of the body to thrive for the whole body to thrive together. First Corinthians 12, 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Envy alienates us from the people, the, the other parts of this body because it makes them our rivals. And if they are our rivals, they cannot be our team. And everyone loses. You know why sin crouches? God says sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. You know why sin crouches? Because it wants to seem small. 
don't look at me. I'm just, I'm just a little sin. I'm not gluttony. I'm not going to ruin your health. I'm not lust. I won't ruin your marriage. I'm just a little sin. I'm just a little envy. But the minute you take your eye off of it, it is on top of you, infecting you, making us into monsters who, who murder over vegetables. Envy thin and gaunt and pale with jealousy unbridled eats the worms that eat the feasts that at her feet lay idle. David Hugh is a biolocomotion engineer at Georgia Tech, and he spent the last several years uh, working with fire ants, which is almost my nightmare, almost my absolute nightmare. Um, they're not even really ants. They're like a species of flightless wasp. But this engineer has been studying them, them because fire ants, when put under varying types of stress, behave as a group in some fascinating ways. For example, if you were to take a clump of them and smush them down really hard between your hands, when you let go, they would just pop back up like, like a stress ball from hell, you know? And if you take them, if you take a penny and you drop it through a clump of them, they will just begin to release their bonds and allow the object to pass through the bottom like a liquid, and then they'll, they'll recenter their bond. And so, so, so fire ants are classified not only as an animal, but actually as a group, they're classified as a material. It's called a viscoelastic substance. It's self-healing. It just, they, they, they rearrange their bonds to protect themselves against damage. And they're able to do this by grabbing onto one another and then just reassembling themselves to respond to the environment. So if you drop a bunch of fire ants into like a bucket of water, um, that, that clump of fire ants will slowly spread out like a drop of dye while they're all linked together until collectively they, they reach the, the size and shape of a, of a small raft. <laughs> and, and, and then you have a raft of, of floating fire ants. And so uh, while one individual fire ant is more dense than water and would sink, a raft of fire ants is less dense because of all the, the air bubbles trapped between their bodies. They float and not only will they not sink, but if you were to take your hand and you push that raft and you force it down underwater, when you release it, it would just pop right back up like the devil's pool noodle. They don't die. <laughs> the, the, the ants on the bottom, they don't drown. I mean, they're uncomfortable, trapped there for a while by the legs and the jaws and the bodies of the ants around them and on top of them, but, but they breathe the air between their bodies and a raft like this can stay afloat for months. This was absolutely fascinating to me, although in fairness, I would have been equally gratified had all the ants drowned. <laughs> Human beings, human beings too, are, are capable of incredible feats when we link arms, but only if we are willing to take our turn as the ant on the bottom. Cain couldn't bear it, and so he, he sunk the raft. He killed the only other person who could have helped him stay afloat. You know what's worse than being the ant on the bottom? Being the ant on top who drowns because they are alone. When we're shoulder to shoulder with other believers, we are a structure both stronger and more beautiful than any one of us is alone. We need each other. We need each other to win so that we can win too. We need to celebrate each other when any one of us succeeds because we will either sink or float together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be a part of this body Thank you for all the gifts that you have given us. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we overlook them. Forgive us for creating a culture where, where we are so obsessed with gaining more that we don't look at what we already have. Help us, Lord. 
Don't let us live in bondage to this anymore. Allow us to be free. Allow us, enable us to enjoy the good that you've given us instead of trying to take good from someone else. Lord, help us to examine our hearts and find the places where sin is crouching, where it is waiting to devour us. And let us submit it to you and be refreshed by your love and your grace. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, in whom we put our hope. Amen. One of the um, fastest ways to be freed of envy um, is to pray for the people that we would rather see fail, the people that we're competing with. And uh, I was having a hard time with this message because I was having a hard time becoming, um, I think, emotionally connected to it. So as part of my commitment to this message, just yesterday I, I contacted that girl the one who tormented me in school, just to tell her hello, to tell her she had a beautiful family, tell her I, I hope she was doing well. And she wrote back almost right away to tell me that she had seen on my page that we had lost a baby. And she was so sorry. And they had lost a baby too, and that um, they'd been praying for us all of these months, praying for me, for another baby. Envy takes from us and it doesn't, it doesn't give anything back. But blessing does. Blessing really does. Blessing those who we would rather curse, it costs something too, but it gives us something back. It gives us life. Through relationship with Jesus, it gives us perspective that we're not as awesome as we think we are. And it can make friends out of enemies. Instead of contributing to the hatred in this world, we can start to help it mend. So to end our service today, we are going to take a few minutes to pray specifically for the people that we love to see fail. And I want you to picture them. I want you to picture their face. And first, I want us to offer them up to Jesus and beg that he enters their hearts if he has not already and that he would bless them abundantly, that he would pour out blessings over their family and their work. And second, I want us to pray because I want us to give God the opportunity to free us of our envy because I don't want it to take any more from me. And I don't want it to take any more from you. Let's be free. So let's pray silently for a couple minutes and then the band will close us with worship.